I want to talk to you about a conversation I had when I went to Bible college in uh, 1974, the fall of 74. Uh, that was right after the earth was made, you young people. And <clears throat> I, I, I got a job at a, at a um, department store that no longer exists, but it was called Meyer and Frank. Then later on, it became, I think, a part of uh, Macy's. But I worked at Lloyd Center on about 12th Street, down near the, the Moda Center where the Blazers play basketball. And, uh, and the store that I worked at <clears throat> was four stories. And, and I, I got a job changing light bulbs. That was my whole job. So I always was hearing jokes like, your job's in lightning, isn't it? Yes, it is. And if I worked too long, I was lightheaded. And, you know, there's everything that pertained to light, fluorescence and incandescence and all that. I'm uh, with this push cart and, and an extension ladder on the cart. And, uh, and I'm all over the store and changing light bulbs. Sometimes at break time, I'd go out on the second floor and I would uh, peer over the ice rink. And, and uh, Lloyd Center has a really nice ice rink. It's the one where Tanya Harding wasn't hitting people. That was out at uh, Clackamas. That's for older people with some history there. <clears throat> Watch the movie, young people. And so I, I just relax and, you know, I'm really into Bible college, really enjoying my job. And all of a sudden, a young Hare Krishna guy approaches me. And he said, would you like one of our, our, our sacred scriptures? And I'm thinking, well, if I take it, someone else won't. So I said, sure. And he begins to talk to me about his perception of God. Like so many um, faiths, they're syncretist. They believe that all roads lead to God. The Bible distinctly tells differently. All roads lead to hell except one, and that's through Jesus that, that leads you to heaven. And so he began to share, you know, about ascended masters and sources of light. And, and, and when I told him that I was a Christian, he, he, his eyes lit up. He said, well, that's beautiful because I also think that, that Jesus was one of those bright lights. And, 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 and he said, and I feel so bad that, that mankind didn't get it and they killed him. Time out, right? I looked him in the eyes, and this is the heart of the gospel. I said, for you, it appears misfortunate for me. Myself and the rest of mankind would be doomed to eternally bear the weight of our sin and failure if Jesus had not gone to the cross. For me, the most fortunate thing in my life and for eternity will always be that Jesus didn't shirk from the cross, but he went to the cross. He found out I wasn't really open to changing, so he took the book back. He said, would you like to give a donation for the book? I said, well, I really, I'm not free to do that right now. He said, could I have it back? I said, sure. And I, I pray that his heart in time would be open. Many of us, we find when we talk to people that we hear forms of that. Well, what are you trusting in eternity? Well, I'm just trusting that the good I've done will outweigh the bad. That, that's about like making sense that if I get disloyal all over my white shirt, 
that if I wear it at clean environments, that that diesel is going to go away. So I'm going to wear that diesel-stained shirt to church, to weddings, to business meetings. No, no, no. Being in a clean environment doesn't take away something that requires specific solvent. Only the blood of Jesus can take away the sins of mankind. You can't pay it back. You can't pay it forward. You can't hope that your credit sheet outstrips your debits. Nope. One way through Jesus Christ. Jesus' death on the cross wasn't a surprise for him. And he frequently spoke of it to his disciples. Turn with me, if you would, to John chapter 3, verses 14 through 17. I will give you a tip-off on what I like to do when I preach. I've got opinions on a lot of things, but when I preach, I like to give us the Word of God. Because God's opinion, I think, really should weigh louder than the voice of every other commentator. How many of you know if we just go right to, Jesus is a great, he's, he's the number one expert on himself, is Jesus. And now, what's, when you think of the, the verse that you would tell people uh, how to come to the Lord, how many of you know that's verse that's said together, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. John 3 16. The context of John 3, 16, I'm going to start in verse 14, and it's really unusual, and it doesn't seem like it's in the same spirit of John 3, 16 and following. But it says, and as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so when you're doing Bible study and you're reading a scripture, it will it'll, it'll tell you, look back here for more in- information and understanding of it. So when, when, when Jesus is talking here in John 3, and he's just saying, hey, oh, incidentally, as I tell you about that, I'm not here to condemn anybody, and I'm not here to throw stones at anybody, but mankind's a screwed up mess. I'm okay, you're okay, I'm, I'm, I'm a mess, and so are you. If we just come together with, we're not here to try to say, who's the bigger screw up? But what we say is we're all bozos in the boat. We're all people that need our sins conveyed away by the blood of Jesus Christ. And that there's some teachings that Jesus himself gave that point back to the Old Testament and talk about how really fallen our nature is and why what he brings is so important. And so you get an indicator. As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness... Even so must the Son of Man be lifted up. We're going to find out in John 12 that when he talks about, if I be lifted up, I'll draw him into me. We sang it for years as a, as, a, as a worship song. Lift Jesus higher, lift Jesus higher, lift him up for the world to see. He said, if I be lifted up from the earth, I will draw men unto me. What we literally, if we were taking what the scripture's context is, let's crucify him. Let's crucify him. Because lifting up was not a pretty picture, not in the Old Testament. And, and, and being hung as a curse on a tree was not a pretty picture. In the, in, the, in, the, in the Old Testament it wasn't, and also in the New Testament. And so Jesus compares himself to a snake on the tree. 
and even so must the Son of Man be lifted up. That, that, or in order that, whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but the, that the world through him might be saved. Now, there tends to be, or there is this direct connection that Jesus is saying in that offering of eternal life back to the, the bronze serpent in, in, in the wilderness. There's, how many of you know that just logically, as you analyze this, you're going, he, he makes it the context. No one was saying, hey, could you talk about the bronze serpent? Nobody was bringing that up. Out, out of the blue, he goes, as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up. In order that the love that God has for the world, aside from condemnation, and this is so important, guys, because there are literally hundreds of thousands of Christians who live in, in, in direct violation of Holy Scripture, who live in violation of, of, of God's holiness demands, always pleading the grace of God. Well, I'm under grace. You're still going to get bit by a viper. Hello? Today I got yelled at by a policeman on the way to church. We're driving down Riverside from my house, moderately, like Rodney King. I was on a, under 100 in a school zone. <laughs> and it was an accident. A guy had crossed and smashed into a pole. He was really rebelling against the time change, obviously. And so we see the police cars, and so I go in the other lane, and I can't see anything over there. And all of a sudden, there's a light in my eyes. And we roll down the window, and, you know, have you ever noticed that embarrassing things always happen with people present? Why can't they just happen when you're alone? You know, nothing like getting pantsed in front of the whole gymnasium, guys and girls alike, you know? And so I roll down the window, and, and there's a policeman there. Slow down! Well, I thought I was slowing down, and like, where were you? What, what are you doing jumping up in the lane in a flashlight? You can be out of compliance and not know it. Well, you know, the grace of God covers all my sin. You mean the one you're fixing to do? Let's go back to the Old Testament. Moses and the bronze serpent. Numbers 21, verses 5 through 9. And the people spoke against God and against Moses. Why have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? It's just complaining that you hear this from your kids all the time. Well, not exactly, but. For there is no food and no water, and our soul loathes this worthless top ramen. So the Lord sent fiery serpents. Who did it? The Lord did. I love the guys that say, the Lord never directly made anybody sick. I think he did. So the Lord, L-O-R-D, spells Lord. What's it mean, Lord? The Lord sent fiery serpents among the people. And they bit the people, and many of the people of Israel died. That's an extreme spanking. 
Therefore, the people came to Moses and said, we have sinned. <laughs> you think? For we have spoken against the Lord and against you. Pray to the Lord that he take away the serpents from us. So Moses prayed for the people. Then the Lord said to Moses, make a fiery serpent and set it on a pole. The Lord sent the fiery serpents and the Lord is saying, here's the antidote for the viper bite, the serpent bite. Put a fiery serpent on a pole. This ugly thing that represents failure and sin is what you need to see on the pole. We don't talk a lot about Jesus on the cross who became the most sin-filled human ever. Jesus has gone and is the most beautiful and simultaneously the ugliest human who ever lived. No matter how demonized anyone was, they never held the level of guilt and shame that Jesus did by taking on the sins of the world. And God says, you're going to have, if you want to get cured, for them that still can look and them that can still reason, if they're going to get, it out, get out of here alive, they better look up on that serpent. And it shall be that everyone who is bitten when he looks at it or stares at it shall live. So Moses made a bronze serpent and put it on a pole. And so it was, if a serpent had bitten anyone when he looked at the bronze serpent, he lived. He looked. Jesus is saying, hey, what I'm going to go through is like that. To him who knew no sin, to him he was made sin that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Every week my prayer is, Lord, may they walk out of here with their chest thrown back. Very proud of the God they serve. Not proud of themselves. We don't need a lot of pride. We need humility. But we need to be able to Proclaim the goodness of our God and the mercies and the power and the glory of our God. Because he's the one that knows how to cure the fiery serpent bite. And Jesus said, hey, this, this is how you're going to focus. I only want to focus on John 3.16. I'm not into negativity. You know what? You better be into negativity if you want your battery to start your car tomorrow morning. You better have both your positive and your negative terminal. That's where the power comes from. Grace never seems as beautiful as grace unless I can look up there. And when I see Jesus, I see my sin and your sin. I see a serpent. And as I gaze at him, my inclination to cooperate with fiery serpents leaves. Pastor Steve, what's the greatest antidote against sinning? Falling in love with Jesus. Looking at his passion on the cross and suddenly running off with Lulu Bell doesn't seem quite as enticing. Eating dope, ruining your family by being a drunkard doesn't seem as appealing when you see the serpent on the cross. You see Jesus falling in love with Jesus and getting a revelation of what he did for you. 
is a great antidote to a lot of garbage. Don't get started what you can't sustain. The predictions of suffering and death that Jesus gave, they came early on. John 3 is pretty early into the book of John, isn't it? John chapter 3. How many of you know that's right after uh, John 1 and John 2? That's for you homeschooler kids like George that I'm just teasing. We've homeschooled our kids. They're brilliant. At least they tell us they are. And, uh, and I always tease. Yeah, homeschool kids, we get them picture Bibles. It's exciting. But John 3 comes right after John 1 and 2. We see that in Matthew chapter 16, 21, right after the disciples had identified that he was the Christ, the Son of the living God, from that time Jesus began to show to his disciples that he must go, say must go, to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and the chief priests and scribes and be killed and be raised the third day. So there's a few components here. One, I'm going to face suffering. Number two, I'm going to face termination of my life. And three, I'm going to experience resurrection after three days. How many of you know that's a good prediction? Especially when you're the one that has to play the Houdini act of going to the cross, dying, and being raised up because you are holy. And God received your payment in full. Mark chapter 8, verses 31 and 32. And he began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and after three days rise again. Second of the Synoptic Gospels, the Synoptic Gospels, you say, why isn't John, isn't John a, a gospel? John is, is called a gospel, but it's not a synoptic in that John specifically handles certain topics uh, about Christ to show that he's the son of God, the eternal son of God, whereas the three gospels seek to give you a picture of the life of Jesus. And so they're called the synoptic gospels. And so all three of the synoptic gospels have this same uh, uh, revelation. Luke chapter 9, verse 21 and 22, And he strictly warned and commanded them to tell this to no one, saying, The Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and be raised the third day. Now, I'm still conversing with my Hare Krishna friend. I'm obsessive. Yes, I'm obsessive. I really am. Yes. I carry on conversations for decades. And how I wish I could embrace that young guy and say, drop like the multi-armed God people with the multi-tattoo colors. Of course, now we're seeing people run around that look just like that. And understand, Jesus doesn't, didn't think it was going to be unfortunate that he went to the cross. Jesus felt it was necessary. How, how much of an ascended master can he be if he's unfortunately being crucified when that was actually the plan that he came to submit to? And then we get to John 12 and he reaches back again to referring to being lifted up. 
signifying the manner of his death. You see, when, when uh, Israel was, was uh, historic, the time they would maybe kill someone and they, they might hang them up on, on some kind of a tree as a curse, but they didn't kill that way. You, the crucifixion came from the Romans. It was a special gift they brought, Pax Romana. But when, when the, in the time of Jesus, they saw crucifixion all over the Roman world. So when someone was saying someone was lifted up, the Romans lifted him up, they knew what they, what they meant. Oh, they crucified him. In John chapter 12, verses 32 and 33, Jesus speaking and saying, And I, if I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all peoples to myself. This he said, signifying by what death he would die. Now, I'm not here to go into the whole um, aspect of the crucifixion, Gethsemane, the prayer before the crucifixion, but I am really here to try to remind us that the crucifixion and resurrection was necessary, was necessary for our salvation. And, and I, I want to talk to you, and I'll get to it in our, our takeaways, about the significance of the serpent on the cross, how it should help us in focusing on what Jesus did for us, right? Like, like for instance, there's a saying that says this, if, if we neglect to recall history, history will repeat itself. You know, when, uh, from time to time I'll watch history of World War II. It was an amazing conflict that the U.S. And, and much of the civilized world entered into. We were fighting on, on two fronts, and both were significant enemies, the Japanese and the Germans. And, and, and so this nation went to the mat, and we're, we're all in, in, in saying we, we want to retain freedom. We, we don't like seeing like the, the historic capital of, of China, Nanking, where 300 some thousand people were put to death. Some of the most horrible tortures and rapes called the Rape of Nanking happened. And so, and so in the Holocaust, six million Jews killed. And yet there are people that deny the Holocaust. I don't want to be a sin denier. Because I, I will tell you, lovely, what you've earned. You're not saved because you're intrinsically good. You're saved because you were intrinsically dead and God loved you and set his favor on you. And your walk with God will be, be best served when you don't deny that, that serpent on the cross. But you keep looking up there to the cross. Paul at one time, still I'm trying to unwrap what Paul said. He said, when I came among you Corinthians, I came except to, to preach Christ and him crucified. And I, I still don't understand exactly what Paul is saying. Except that Paul had a very big understanding that at the crucifixion of Christ, something significant was happening. And he wanted the Corinthians to know that he didn't get up there on his own. It wasn't like, oh, by the way, I went and was climbing a tree and some people took it too serious and they wouldn't let me get down. 
He marched from, from Galilee through Samaria, face set like a flint, saying, this is the time for my passion. This is the time. And when he sat with the disciples at the Last Supper, he said, with great zeal, white hot passion, have I desired to break this bread with you. And then he broke as a human before God at Gethsemane. Lord, if it be possible, take this cup, the cup of complete ugliness, the cup of drinking the sins of the world, the cup of being the serpent on the cross. And as a man, as a human, my heart longs to hug him. My heart longs to have not been with Peter and John sleeping, but to have been sentient to go to a guy who has to have angels support him. And he's sweating, as it were, great drops of blood. And with courage, when he could have called 12 legions of angels, he stayed with it. I don't want to deny my sin. I don't want to live in it. But what I've done, I'm guilty of everything I've done. And that's what I see in Jesus. And that's what I hope that we can. We no longer live for ourselves, but are given the ministry of reconciliation. In 2 Corinthians 5, 14 and then following, it says, For the love of Christ compels us, because we judge thus, that if one died for all, then all died. We get credit for the death of Jesus. No flesh will glory before God. Pastor Steve, you're a good man. You've got a lot of fruit. I've got fruit that's good, and I've got fruit that's bad. The blood of Jesus covers my bad fruit, and I pray for crop failure, and I pray for redos. But if I, if I, if I am not going to try to seize onto my guilt, I'm also not going to seize onto my glory. Let God be praised. We're doing our best. We're doing our best. Well, you deserve all kinds of good things. No, the Bible teaches me that I've earned. The one thing I've earned is death. But the gift of God is, 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 is salvation through Christ. And he died for all, that those who live should live no longer for themselves, but for him who died for them and rose again. This is the battle that the, the American Christian church faces. What's going to happen when God multiplies your money, multiplies your time? Give me more money, give me more time, and I'm gone more. How many of you know that the bonus of money and a bonus of time should also result in a bonus of preaching and sowing? Johnny just got back from Nigeria. He said he's never seen, even in India, never saw the poverty like, like Lagos, Nigeria. It, 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 it rocked him. 
We don't want to look at a bronze serpent on the cross. We also don't want to look at suffering people in many cases. The Lord said, we got to look around us. If we're blessed, we've got to not let that blessing end up being a curse for us. It did for Israel. Their blessing turned them back to idolatry. And God still is a blesser. Why? Because he's a blessed being and he'll always bless those that follow him. But the danger is then turning it back to ourselves. Therefore, from now on, we regard no one according to the flesh, even though we have known Christ according to the flesh, yet, yet we know him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things are passed away. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Now all things are of God who has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. That is that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not imputing their trespasses to them and has committed to us the word of reconciliation. Our job is to tell everywhere we go, hey, there's a bronze serpent and if we look there, we can, we can avoid the destruction. For God so loved the world that he sent his son. Not because he's going to ignore sin, because it's still... How many of you know I've seen Christians make big mistakes? They still get bit by fiery serpents. Hello? How many of you think it might hurt my reputation if I cheated on my wife? How many of you would find it hard-pressed to really want to hear me if I come back and say, hey, you know, we all make mistakes, and I'm under the grace of Jesus? Most of you are going to say, we, we appreciate you're under the grace of Jesus. Shut up and sit down and let someone else preach until there's proof of your repentance. And looking in my beautiful wife's brown eyes, how many years would it take me before Kim would really trust me? And wouldn't it sound a little shallow? Hey, Chiquita, just get over it. Let me just say this. Fiery serpents still bite. The good news is that we've got one who the antidote that takes away the death that they bring. We are given the message of reconciliation. Now then we are ambassadors for Christ. As though God were pleading through us, we implore you on Christ's behalf. Be reconciled to God. For he made him who knew no sin... To be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Great exchange. We all truck in, sinning in various ways. Some of us overlapped. Our sin areas were the same. Some of you, your sin area is like, whoa, I can't even imagine you'd sin there. Your sin is weird, not like mine. Mine's like real natural for me. How do you know we all have iniquitous roots that, that seem natural to sin in our way? And other people, there are things you go, that, that's a silly sin. Aren't they all? And, and, and so we see that, that we all trot in and we're just all a bunch of little, little serpents. We've been bit. We, we need the antidote. And, and so here's Jesus and he's saying, hey, look on Jesus and not only will I allow you to live, but I can take away. I can take away the penalty of that consequences sometimes take a, a lot longer. But the penalty, you're really forgiven. And you're given life. Takeaways. This is 
uh, our concluding thoughts. First takeaway, Jesus does more than teach us a lesson. Still dealing with the Hare Krishna conversation. If only mankind had learned their lesson, they would have had to have learned it with Adam. Adam would have had to have learned a lesson and avoided sin altogether, but he didn't. And, and in, from Adam on, in the bloodline, in, in the spiritual DNA of humans, we all take a bite of the forbidden fruit. We all invite in our life fiery serpents. Jesus says more than teach us a lesson. He reverses the effect. I, this quote is by me. I often quote me. He's a redeemer, not merely a moralizer. Jesus doesn't just want to come out. You know, I told you that was wrong. I told you that was wrong. I told you that was wrong. He, he will do that. But then he goes on, and I've paid for your redemption from it. Yes, it was wrong. Please don't, don't speak against God about the, the, the water and the manna. <laughs> There's vipers involved here. Secondly, or B, man's sin invites the bite of the fiery serpents. Let me just say this. Grace is not like a venereal shot so you can go out and be immoral. I worked with a hippie at Harry and David, and, and he was telling me, he said, I'm in a party real heavy, and, uh, and, 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 and I'll probably end up getting, uh, getting syphilis. And he said, then I'll go to the county and get a clap shot. And I realized that a lot of people see Jesus as like this spiritual venereal shot. I just go and sin, and then I get slammed up, and the effect gets taken away. He's not meant to be your tool for immorality. He's there to take away the yearning for immorality because you see the, the, the serpent on the cross. See, viewing the serpent on the pole or tree was an acknowledgement of personal responsibility for their sin and condition. Hey, Drew, you know, you just lay there and kind of deal with your own pain. You know, you can't love anyone else unless you love yourself. Lie, lie, lie. Most people that are deep into addiction, that's all they've done is love themselves. I think some of them need to say, I'm a piece of, you know, fill in the blank. I'm a freaking drunk. I'm a freaking doper. And I've ripped off grandma. And anywhere I go to get more money, I always got to act like my whole family's dead. And I want to look at that. That's who I am. A POS. Piece of work. Yeah. I don't know about you. I came to work today. I came to talk to real humans on the earth. Deal with your sin. That's me. God, take away my yearning for alcohol. I can't excuse it anymore. I can't excuse hurting my wife. I can't excuse my kids so broken they can't even go to school and look anybody in the eye because the drunk drives them up. Oh, brother. You know, my preaching is a natural contraceptive against church growth. <laughs> People want to go and get some kind of a weird massage. I never got saved because someone knocked me out. I got saved when I could look at the cross. And even as a church kid, I go, oh, God, I'm a sinner. And everybody out of the pool 
lust, sin, drunkenness. Everybody out of the pool. Everybody out of the pool. If this can invite a fiery serpent, it doesn't need to be in my life. My time is up. Personal responsibility. A person had to look at the bronze serpent to begin healing. We have to see, second, uh, next point, we have to see Jesus hanging from the cross as directly relating to our personal sin. F, Christ became sin that we might become the righteousness of God. And finally, Christ reconciled us and, has, and we are given the ministry of reconciliation. Today I'm really pouring out my heart for some reason. And I'm going to tell you about my loneliness a little bit. You know, people look at me and I know how to talk to people and be gregarious. But you know, when you walk the walk of holiness, you're alone a lot of the time. Oh, it isn't all that bad. It isn't all that bad. What's it going to hurt? In Encounter, we sang a song, I will never be the same now that I have seen the cross. How you took upon yourself the sin and suffered the fullness of the wrath of God. What a beautiful song. Something bit me in 1971. It's called being shocked into the kingdom. I don't want to hurt Jesus. And I'm nervous about a lot of people that want to be around me because it's all fun and games to them. I'm guilty of everything I've ever done wrong. And my guilt has been paid in full by Jesus. And I want to look at that man who suffered in my place. And I want to preach Christ and him crucified. How many of you say, Pastor, I'm with you? I'm with you. How many of you know that this is a holy moment? I could go on. Why don't you uh, close your eyes and bow your head? Week after week, people come in here looking for a change of life. They know that they're just on that edge. They're just, maybe they're not completely strung out, but they're recreational doing drugs. They're just, a lot of the ways of the world, they're, they're doing. And all of a sudden, you begin to think about what, what Jesus taught that he came to take away those sins by being lifted up on the cross. And all of a sudden you realize, oh, I guess I am a sinner. I guess I need a savior. I guess I need to know that Jesus can take away my sins and today I choose to believe in him and follow him. Let him change my life. People join God every week here at this church. It's really awesome. He's already done everything to join you. 
I'd like every one of you that came in this place saying, I need a change. I want God to save me. Raise your hand. I just want to quickly, and if you're here and you're, you're saying, hey, I, I want a change. We're not going to make you get up or do anything, but the acknowledgement says, hey, we're, 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 we're uh, touching base and connecting very quickly. If you're here and you, you've not given your life to Jesus, or maybe you've given, but you're so, walking so wayward, you know you're in dangerous territory. Hands, 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 anywhere? Okay. Okay, there was a hand up. Let's pray this prayer really quickly. Um, also, for, for joy people, if, if you've responded, please don't do it again. Like, you know what I'm saying? Because what happens is we want to pray with people who've not asked. So, we, in other words, we don't get saved every week. We, we get saved and then we, we grow. But let's, let's pray and let's believe uh, for... Uh, uh, the, the people who've raised their hands. Dear Father, I come to you this day. I need a Savior. Thank you for taking away my sins. I put my trust in Jesus Christ. You alone, Lord, can, can take away my sin. If you'll be my God, I'll be your servant. If you'll be my Father, I'll be your child. I receive you this day. In Jesus' name, amen.